Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of the Addicts and Intelligible Truth. My name's Alex. I'm Taylor. And we're excited to share Taylor's experience on this episode. Obviously, you were excited to hear it as well, or else you wouldn't be here. All right, well, let's go. Let's begin. I'm so excited, but I'm, I'm so, so excited. I'm also so nervous. I hate talking about myself. <laughs> Don't be nervous. It'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, so, I guess we should start out with your childhood. Oh. How was it for you? Um, now, I wouldn't say I had a bad childhood. Yeah. Um, it wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. I was raised, I had a really good mom, and I had a very decent stepdad. But like a lot of parents, you know, they have secrets. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find a lot of those secrets out until I was older. Right. Which was extremely effective on me, you know? Right. Like, once I found out, like, all the secrets they had and what they had hid from me, it kind of made my childhood seem almost like a lie to me, you know? Right. Like, someone projected it for me to see, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like I got beat or anything like that. I was just in a lot of scenarios that, like, personally, I wouldn't put my own children in. Right. And it took years of realization for that to kick in. Okay. But at the end of the day... I had a roof over my head, even right. if it was a garage I was living in. Mm-hmm. So that was fine. Okay, so going from your childhood to when you started using, what was the time frame like? So when I was, I was very curious, very young. Mm-hmm. When I was about 10, maybe, I had a cousin who let me. They, she didn't really let me. She convinced me to steal my mom's cigarettes. And so then I would steal them for her. And then I wondered why I was stealing them for her. Right. And so then I started smoking cigarettes. And that same cousin, one time she gave me some heart water. Mm-hmm. And that heart water was like peach schnapps or something. <laughs> and I drank a bunch of it. And I didn't know what had happened to me until I was at my mammal's house the next morning. I'm 11 years old, dude. And I'm throwing up, and I'm thinking I got the flu. And my mom was behind me on the phone, and she's like, this girl's been drinking. (laughs) I'm like, drinking what? So I knew, young, what alcohol would do to you. Right. And so when I was about 14, maybe, I had a lot of friends who Mm -hmm. smoked weed. Right. I was really scared of smoking weed, because I didn't know much about it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I was also a very curious kitty. Right. So the first time the opportunity was presented to me to smoke in a safer environment Mm -hmm. I took it and ran you know right I was in eighth grade and it was literally at city hall here in Mitchell Mm -hmm. just right there in the middle of the like little picnic area they have right there out of the pocket first time and that (laughs) that was the next two years of my life you know right like at first when I started smoking it wasn't like a it wasn't an everyday kind of thing Right. When you're young, I feel like, it, I mean, you didn't smoke continuously after mm-hmm. your first time. Yeah. I didn't really either. It was like a once a month kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then once a month turned into like once every two weeks. And then like Friday nights for sure, you know. Right, right, right. But then like around sophomore year, I get a boyfriend who's older than me and a weed head. So I've got access to it 24-7. But that was also when I gained access to everything else. Right. And it went from, it was like a flip of a switch from like, oh, I smoke weed all day, every day, to, oh, 
they've got pills. I can try these pills. And I had a mom who was a CNA, so she knew everything. Mm-hmm. So I could just ask her, like, hey, what's what would this do to me if I took it? And she would tell me, and I would be like, oh, okay. So I'm good then, right? And she'd be like, yeah, sure. Out the door I was to go do it. Wow. So I know that you already spoke briefly on, like, how weed led into other things that you mm-hmm. were taking. But how did, like, per se, those pills lead into you doing heroin? Um, so... When I started doing pills, as someone who's done meth, you know, mm-hmm. there's different kind of pills. There's yeah. pills that will bring you down, mm-hmm. and there's pills that will bring you up. Yeah. I found out by midway of my sophomore year that I did not like the pills that brought me up, like Adderall and Ritalin and Vyvanse. Mm-hmm. That was not my thing. And I found that very quickly. But I liked opiates. I liked the way they made me feel. Mm-hmm. You get warm. You just kind of don't feel nothing. And I liked that a lot. And so that was where I tried to stay at. I didn't really like fucking with Xanax or anything like that because you can't remember. And Xanax was the first pill I ever actually did. Mm -hmm. And the first time I did it, I woke up the next morning. Both my friends were pissed off at me. I was a menace. I had traffic cones in my bedroom. Someone's mailbox in my bedroom. And I had no recollection of that whatsoever. Right. I don't, so that was not my thing. But then, you know, once you do pain pills for so long, you get to where you're doing so many, and they make you feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And then you feel like shit when you don't have them. And so the next thing for me was Opana. And Opana is just a stronger opiate. But it's the kind of pill that, like, you can't just go to the doctor because you break your leg and get it. Right. You go to the doctor because you got your leg ripped off in a fucking car accident. And then you're going to get it. Right. So, like, I we knew a guy who had been crushed by, like, a truck or something under a lift. Mm-hmm. Broken back. Okay, had a prescription for the rest of his life. So, I found that. And that was just a whole new world for me. It was stronger than just, like, your average floor attack. Right. And it lasted, and I didn't feel as shitty the first time I did it. Like, the next morning, I felt great, because it's extended release. Right. So I was still feeling it the next day, and now two days later, I felt like shit. And that's when I was like, okay, so we got to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But then, Big Pharma steps in. The opioid epidemic has gotten crazy. And Big Pharma is like, okay, well, Opana is a big leader of this, so we're going to go ahead and take that off the shelf. I already know Laura Tapps don't cut it for me. Right. To the street it was. And that's when I got on heroin. And I was a junior in high school the first time I did heroin. And it it was continuous. Like, it wasn't just something I did once or twice and then stopped and did a couple times, a couple months later. Right. It was continuous. I did it every day. I did it before school. Like, and then I got to where I didn't even want to go to school because I felt like shit when I first went Right. So, like... I get put in a different program at school. All I have to go three hours a day. Still not going to school because right. like you just you feel so shitty, and all you want to do is get high. And buying drugs is not easy. No. Sometimes you have to wait hours and days and weeks, and you're sick as fuck. Yeah. So it made it impossible for me as a 17 year old to function normally. Mm-hmm. There was no school. There was no friends. There was no nothing. It was just wake up. Get high. Ask somebody for money. Go get high. Yeah. Plain and simple. So then, what 
What made you realize that it was a problem? I definitely think it was withdrawal that kind of made me recognize Mm -hmm. because I was smart enough to understand that like my brain was dependent on it and that's why Mm -hmm. my body felt like shit. So once I truly accepted that like I was sitting here shitting my pants and throwing up and shaking over, you know, the fact that I wasn't high, I was like, okay, maybe I am an addict. Maybe this is it for me. Yeah. Like this is where I'm going to have to be. And I knew at that point in time that I was going to be stuck for a couple of years. Right. I did not see it ending. I knew it couldn't. There were too many people around me who were addicts mm-hmm. and they obviously didn't fucking care. Yeah. So like, why would I care? Mm-hmm. And so there became the next year of my life, just nothing but getting high and sitting around. And how did that affect your relationships? Like say with family members or with even your intimate relationships, like your boyfriend well, so at that point in time, the only I only had a few relationships, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there was a relationship between me and my mother, mm-hmm. which was not good. Right. And it's not like we didn't get along. It's just the fact that both of us had secrets. Right. And those secrets were drugs. Mm-hmm. And I found that out about my mom when I was, like, 16. And instead of being, like, get better, I was, like, Fuck you. If you do it, I can do it too. Right. And so I had that kind of relationship with my mom. My mom could get me pills. My mom could get me weed when I needed it. And so that, there was not much of a strain there unless I was just getting pissed off at her for not getting me shit. Right. I've got a couple of close friendships that were strained. Now, I avoided school, obviously, for most of my addiction because I was high. I didn't want to go to school. But my friends stayed in school, and they knew I was on shit. And it wasn't like, you know, they're sitting in school calling me a fucking pillhead and shit, which they were, but they were staying away from me because they knew that, like, I was killing myself, I was hurting myself, and they didn't want it to be brought around them. They didn't want to see me like that. They didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, they wanted no fucking part of it, and I respect that. At the time, I didn't. At the time, I was like, fuck you guys, I'm at my worst, and you're just going to walk away from me? Mm-hmm. And they were all like, yeah, basically, sorry. And with my boyfriend, who is now my husband, mm-hmm. it was it was just like gasoline and fire, you know? He could get the drugs. I wanted the drugs. Yeah. He wanted the drugs. Yeah. So we were just doing drugs together. Right. Constantly. But he graduated when he graduated, mm-hmm. so all he had to do was go to work. Yeah. And he did that. He was a functioning addict. Yeah. Not me. I couldn't even bring myself to go to school. So it was just two different worlds in that aspect for us. Mm -hmm. But honestly, a lot of the people I hung out with did shit too. Yeah. So there was nothing that could be strained. I didn't have a support system. Right. Like I did, but it was kind of people who didn't really want what was best for me. They just wanted something to work so I'd quit bitching right and you know because I'm sitting there bitching about how much money I'm spending I'm bitching about the quality of their drugs and they're just like get clean shut the fuck up nobody was actually sitting there like hey you're 17 and you're addicted to heroin right get some fucking help right so I like it's safe to say that like nobody really it didn't really put a damper on anyone's relationship right a lot of my family didn't know about it until it was done and over with because they don't come around and I don't push myself right that brings me to my, that kind of answered my next question, <laughs> but what, 
what was your support system like whenever you finally decided to get clean? Um, well, few and far. Mm -hmm. When we decided to get, because it was a collective between me and my husband to get clean together. Right. And he did his a certain way and I did mine a certain way. But we did it at the same time and we were each other's support system. And that's something a lot of relationships and addiction don't last through is getting clean. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, I had him as a support system. My mom, not so much. Yeah. My mom had a different drug of choice, so she didn't really care much about what I was doing with my life, as long as it didn't fuck with hers. Right. And a lot of my friends didn't know that I was getting off of shit until I was off of shit, because I didn't want to get clean and then relapse and then get clean and then relapse. Like, I wanted to make sure I was good before I started trying to, like, follow the steps and right. make amends and regain trust and let people regain their trust in me, you know? Yeah. So was there a specific method that helped you get clean or did you get clean for a reason or? Um, I, I will answer that in two parts. Part one, I got clean because I found out I was pregnant and I was already 10 days clean from heroin when I found out I was pregnant with Kendrick. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, you can't do heroin while you're pregnant. Right. And so I didn't. And I stayed good the whole time I was pregnant with Kendrick. But then after I had him, I had a C-section. Right. So the first thing they handed me when I walked out the doors was a big, fat prescription of pain pills. Yeah. And by the time I had finished that prescription, you know, I'm back on heroin. It happened like that. So we, I spent 10 months of my son's life doing heroin again and pain pills, you know, whatever I can get my hands on. And then fine. And like, I got to a point where I was sick of it though, because like, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there and I wasn't letting like him get neglected. If right. he needed formula, he needed diapers, he needed clothes. We would go sick. Yeah. I would, I would damn near get clean in the time I would have to go sick. Yeah. And so finally at the 10 month mark of his life, I, we had a drug dealer who told us about his master plan to put fentanyl in his heroin and wow. gain more customers, get people hooked on a stronger thing so he could make more money. He left our apartment one day and I looked at my husband and I was like, we've got to stop or yeah. we're going to die. He's going to kill people. So this is where I started my, this is my second round of at home rehab. I am not a rehab person. I'm not dogging you if you are a rehab person yeah, at all. For sure. It's just not for me. Yeah. Same. So what I liked to do was, and it's very unconventional. A lot of people aren't going to agree with it. Whatever. I sat on a beanbag chair and a couch for 12 days. Mm -hmm. All I did was lay there and ooh and out the whole time. I smoked weed when I felt like I was going to throw up or shit my pants. Yeah. And I watched a lot of TV and I just sweated it out on my couch. Like to this day, my mom's couch has two sweat stains, one of my husband's, one of mine, just laying there because that was my couch at that time. Right. And we just sweated it out on the couch. Wow. We would eat chicken noodle just because, like... You, you needed to have something. Yeah, you could throw it up and you're not going to feel as shitty about it. Right. And so it was a horrible detox. So whenever you got clean the second time, is that whenever you realized you needed to cut these certain people out of your life for good? Oh, yeah. The process of getting clean itself was like we had to make a move to help us get clean. And that only move was to rip off these people. Right. We had three 
major plugs and all three of them got ripped off x amounts of money mm-hmm. one of them was four hundred dollars one of them was 80 you know like and we ripped them all off at once and never looked back there was wow. not a moment i mean there were times when like one of them would come to us and be like hey my daughter hasn't ate in four months yeah and i'm sitting there like you haven't fed your kid in four months you need 80 bucks with that bad your kid's been hungry for four months yeah no fucking way so like you know there was doors where we could switch right back in same mm-hmm. but we just we chose not to we just yeah. ignored people, and it hurt a lot of relationships with, like, people's families and shit. Yeah. Because these addicts have families that we know, mm-hmm. and that put a strain on those relationships because they're sitting there telling them that we owe them money, and they're not telling them why we owe them money. Yeah. So that was hard. Obviously, all things in the dark come to light. Yeah. So all of that shit came to light, and we were on top of that because people were like, oh, they were right. They did that for themselves. They got better. We can't hate them for that. Right. And that was, that's just like the succession of sobriety. Like hearing someone say like, we judged you, we misjudged you mm-hmm. as a sober person and we're sorry. Yeah. You're doing great. You know, like it just right. makes things feel so much better. Yeah. So now that you've had how many years clean? Six years in March. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, do you sit back and think, wow, I really regret going through all that? Or do you think of it as like a learning lesson or how do you view it? Your addiction? I do not regret my time in addiction whatsoever. I, even before I was a drug addict, I was a party girl. Mm -hmm. So a part of me always knew that like the alcohol was going to get me, the weed was going to get me, something was going to get me caught up somewhere. Right. But I never thought it would be heroin. I never thought I'd be sitting here and talking about how I used to do heroin. Yeah. But I'm glad I can mm-hmm. because there are so many people out there who are on the shit. People I know, people I don't know, like people I love. And if someone can listen to me talk about my experience and find some similarities, and if that's if that one similarity is enough to plant a seed in someone and mm-hmm. want them to change for the better, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Because you can rebuild your whole life. I've done it. Mm-hmm. From the bottom up, I have rebuilt everything. Me and my husband have gone through the trenches yeah. to get what we have now. And it can be done. Yeah, People looked at us seven, eight years ago and were like, oh my God, they're pathetic fucking losers. No jobs, high school dropout, baby on the way. Mm-hmm. And now look at us. Like my husband works 60, 80 hours a week. I'm a stay-at-home mom who's trying to change lives. Yeah. It feels like we came from a spot of nowhere Mm -hmm. and have semi-made it to somewhere where it's going to be good. Yeah. And that just makes addiction worth it. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to tell our viewers? Like any updates or Um, anything like that? Anything good that's happened since you've gotten clean other than obviously you know you and Brady you've had two beautiful kids beautiful beautiful little kids (laughs) um you know like you said he has a good job and you're a stay-at-home mom now we guys live comfortably extremely we have been it it's like when we got sober someone or something was like let's make it a little harder for you yeah because like it went from we got clean to then we had to get out of the apartment we were living in Mm -hmm. and then we decided to get married and then when we got married, Brady gets laid off. Yeah. And then we have Bexley, and then Brady's on unemployment, and then he gets laid off from another job. 
But at the end of it, it all made up for it because now he works a great job at a great yeah. place. I get to spend every moment of my day with my children, which mm-hmm. means so much because I had a mom who worked and a dad yeah. who worked. And, you know, some parents do make it work. Some yeah. parents go to work and are parents and are still husband and wives. Yeah. I feel like I could not personally accomplish that. Right. So I like to be able to say that my job is to be mom. Mm-hmm. My job is to be Brady's wife. And I love it because, you know, six years ago, I didn't know if this was going to be a possibility or not. Right. Once I found out that someone was putting fentanyl in my shit, I was like, I'm going to be in the ground one day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be an urn on my mom's coffee table. Yeah. So everything has changed for the better, for the best. I am at a point in my life where I'm clear-minded enough for us to sit here and be like, let's change. Let's, let's start a podcast let's and help Let's start everyone. a podcast and let's talk about this yeah. shit. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. And so it just makes me burst with joy that, like, I made it out alive. Mm-hmm. You made it out alive. Brady made it out alive. And yeah. now we have the doorway to help other people get out alive. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all we want to accomplish. Yes. So with that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning into our second episode. We appreciate it so much. We are extremely grateful for all your support and all your comments, your messages, your shares. There is nothing we could say or do to explain how thankful we are. Yeah. Um, Make sure that you're staying tuned. Make sure you're checking in on our Facebook page, our Instagram page. We will be posting when our next episode will drop. Um, Other than that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, your night, whatever it is, and have a good rest of your week. Thank Thank you so much.